Snyder. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me for another informative and hopefully inspiring edition of the Jim Snyder Podcast. It's a chance for me to get together with you and share my story about how I've overcome a visual impairment to reach some of the goals and dreams in my life. And from time to time, we'll bring people on the podcast and talk about some of the things they've had to overcome through their journey through life. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about having clear vision. I'm also going to talk about a gentleman who really was instrumental in helping me reach many of the goals that I had in my broadcasting career, the first part of it. And we'll also have another really bad pun. What would a Jim Snyder podcast be without that? So why don't you sit back, relax, and hang out a bit? The Jim Snyder Podcast. Well, I have to admit, I came in today's podcast a little overprepared. I have a list, a list right here in my formerly Ovaltine-stained fingers, because I used to drink Ovaltine. haven't drank Ovaltine in a long time. But I have a list here of things that I wanted to talk about on today's podcast, and I realized that I've got to pare things down just a little bit. So that's what we're doing. I did mention that I wanted to get to my first commercial radio job, but we're going we're gonna to put that off just a little bit. So if you're waiting for that, we're hoping to hear about my first commercial radio job. You're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. I'm going to keep you in suspenders for just a bit longer, okay? But I do have a COVID update for everybody. I do want to bring you up to date as far as what's going on in the Snyder household. When we last left our couple, Jack was waiting for Diane to come out of the coma. And what? Wrong story? Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Wrong story. Let's let me grab the other list here. All right. We'll 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 change gears here. Fine. Somebody left me the long the wrong story to talk about. Fine. All righty. As I was saying, uh, update as far as what's going on in the Snyder household regarding COVID. Well, as you know, Sarah has been in self-isolation for the last couple of weeks because of a possible COVID-19 exposure at her work. Well, one of the things that she was required to do in addition to her self-isolation was to get a COVID test. And she went and got her COVID test last weekend. And the results, they came back negative. Yeah, we're all very excited about that. And that means that we can continue on with our plans to Get out of the house. We are suffering from cabin fever here because Sarah has been in self-isolation now for two weeks. And as of the recording of this podcast on the 26th of March, it's a Friday, a little inside baseball. Don't don't tell anybody, okay? Shh, don't tell anyone. But as of the recording of this podcast, Sarah's self-isolation and it comes to an end tomorrow. So as of tomorrow, she is able to move about freely. I am able to move about freely. I haven't been in isolation. I've been able to leave, but there's really been no place for me to go. They just told me, if you don't have to leave the house, if you don't have to go anywhere essential, you know, or don't, if you don't have to go anywhere, don't go anywhere unless it's essential. So we basically have been kind of hanging out here for the last couple of weeks. 
and it's been okay. We had plenty of food in the refrigerator, went to the grocery store, happened to suspect that something might be in the works, and we just thought, well, in case they were to say, yes, you got to self-isolate, so we stocked up, and I'm glad we did, and it all worked out just fine. So that has come to an end, and we're now able to move about. And Sarah, normally, when it comes to the weekend, is kind of a homebody like I am. We enjoy being at home. We also enjoy going away. But she was even saying, hey, let's go out to breakfast. Let's go out and have a nice breakfast Saturday morning. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and have a nice breakfast tomorrow morning. Not sure where we're going to go. We'll find some place and have a nice breakfast and just enjoy getting out from these four walls. It's been nice being here, but we need to get out. So we'll get out. We've got some errands to run. Sarah has some Pampered Chef stuff to do. And we have some things we want to go look at and do some shopping for. And it's going to be just nice to to circulate a little bit. And we're also getting together with some friends that we go to church with on Sunday. So we're going to go see them on Sunday and just have somewhat of a, a normal existence. Really, it's it obviously everybody knows what's been going on with COVID. And it, it's it's nothing to, to mess around with. We do take it serious. I may kind of humorously joke about it a little bit, but believe me when I tell you that, no, we, we do what they ask us to do, not out of fear. We do it out of respect. And it's not killing us. It's not been a hardship. We're just glad that everybody is in our house, the two of us, if you want to count the cats, the four of us. We're all doing just fine, and we're gonna we're gonna get out. So we're we're really we're really excited about that. So on to the meat of the podcast here. Uh, a little change of pace, kind of a last minute change here, if you don't mind. I had realized getting ready for this podcast when we got to the point of my story after coming back to Toledo from Columbus that there was something going on with my vision. And I probably should have talked about this a few weeks ago when we were just kind of going through my story. Because I'm kind of, I'm trying to go through this, I guess, chronologically as far as things that happened to me just, you know, during my life. And if you've been following along with the podcast, if you're a first timer, a brand new listener to the Jim Snyder podcast, and this is where you're picking up, welcome aboard. Glad to have you here. But I've been talking about my story from just how I started this podcast all the way up through being, you know, born with a eye condition known as retinopathy of prematurity, ROP, to just dealing with growing up and high school and all that kind of stuff and finding out that I really wanted to be in radio and all that. Well, let's circle back just a little bit. To 1981, I was 16. Turned, I was about to turn 16, and I was diagnosed with a cataract. And you're thinking, wait a minute, how how does someone so young get one of these things? Because those are for old people. Well, normally they are, but for whatever reason, when you are an ROP patient or an ROP, oh, I don't know, just. I don't want to say sufferer because that's not what it is. But when you have this condition, the 
likelihood of cataracts developing at a younger age is a little bit higher, and they do, for whatever reason, show up. Why? I'm not sure. If there are any ophthalmologists in the story or in the, in, in the, uh, in the audience today, you're welcome to email me with an explanation if you have one. The Jim Snyder Podcast at gmail.com. You can email me your comments on that. If you are a authority in retinopathy of prematurity, it's just some, one of those things. I don't remember. Maybe the, the eye doctor that I had explained it to me. And my eye doctor growing up was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Keyes. And I really liked him. He, he liked me. We got along great. I had started to go see him when I was about, well, I don't know, four or five years old, maybe a little younger. I'm not sure. But I had been seeing him for almost as long as I can remember. But he always told me, he said, Jim, you should be a lawyer. I think you'd be a great lawyer. Well, that wasn't on my radar. I wanted to be a broadcaster. And so I became a broadcaster. And as they say, the rest is history. Well, in the summer of, of 1981, I was had gone to the doctor for a regular exam with the doctor, with Dr. Keyes. He had gone through the whole process of dilating my eye. Looking back in there, and of course, you know what those are like. When you have your pupils dilated, it's hard to see when you're done, and right afterwards especially, because you can't see anything because of that bright light. Well, I was sitting there just kind of getting my wits about me, and he started talking about cataracts. And I'm like, what? What, what, do, you mean, what do you mean cataract? And, and he says, well, you've got one. It's not ripened yet, which means it's not mature enough for us to do anything with. But it's there, and, and he explained kind of what goes on with a cataract. Those of you who have had one or know somebody who's had one, you know what what it's like. And my mom even had said, I've noticed that you don't see quite as well as you used to. And I really didn't notice any difference, honestly, because it happens so subtly. And if you've had one of these or know someone, again, you know what it's like. It just doesn't happen overnight. You don't lose your vision overnight. So... I was kind of grasping the realization that I had this this thing going on in my eye because it was always just decided or always just kind of hoped and keep your fingers crossed that I don't develop any other complications, that there's no detachment with what little retina that I had. Because honestly, with what I have, it's, it's, an, it's a miracle. And I had a pediatric ophthalmologist look at me once. And this was when I was living in Charleston back. Oh, I probably went to see a, a ophthalmologist in Charleston, probably 2002, maybe 2003, somewhere around there. Cause I hadn't had an eye exam in a while. And I probably should, I thought I probably should go get one. So I did. And I went to the medical university of South Carolina in Charleston, had an ophthalmologist look at me and he said, you know, I've got a colleague here who deals with children with your condition. Would you have a problem with her taking a look at you? She might find this interesting. And I said, well, you know, sure, why not? So she looked at my numbers, looked at my eye, you know, did all the exam and everything. And she said, it's amazing. It's a miracle that you can see what you have based upon what little retina you do have. So I was, you know, glad that I could be of some help to her because in in a way it gave her maybe another reference point where she can say there are patients with this degree 
of damage to the retina, and these are the results to expect, or this is what he's got. And they could use that. And I've always said that with any of the doctors that I've dealt with over the years, that if there is something you can learn from my situation and it can benefit somebody else down the road, then, hey, we've we've done something good here. And I've even said that recently to some of the doctors that I've I've gone to see because I've had some things come up in recent years, and we'll talk about that later on in another episode. So I was just, you know, really back to when I was in you know high school, a little freaked out at first, thinking, oh, my gosh, I got a cataract. You know, they're going to have to take it out. Could I lose my sight permanently? All that kind of stuff, it runs through your head because you don't know. I mean, it's 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 kind of a, a little scary. Well, as the doctor said, it's going to be a while before we have to deal with this. It's nothing that to be concerned about right now, but just know that it's there. And he explained kind of what to expect later on. Well, at that point, in the early 80s, cataract surgery wasn't quite as streamlined and what I like to call in-and-out medicine as, as they are today, where you just you go in and you're in and out in an hour, and they don't even knock you out. Well, for someone like me, because I have a stigmatism with, with, my, uh, with my eyes, rapid eye movement, it's just part of the condition of, of having my you know, situation ROP. Your eyes move a lot. Those who know me, you'll notice that my eyes always move quite a bit. And in some people, it freaks them out. Some that don't know, they they think that there's something wrong with me. They think that I'm, you know, on some type of hallucinogenic drug or whatever it is, or there's just, you know, I'm freaking out or whatever. I don't know. But I have to be a little bit more careful. Well, with my cataract surgery, and they end up doing this anyway, they ended up when I did have the surgery, oh, several years later plus, it was over 10 years later that I had the uh, surgery. It was 13 years, 13, 14 years later that I had the surgery. They actually knock you out, you know, completely, put you to sleep, completely sedate you so that they can actually deal with your eye safely and remove the cataract and put in the lens, the ocular, interocular lens implant is what they really call it and put it in there, so on and so forth. Well, in in the early 80s, cataract surgery was a little bit more involved. At one point, and I don't know if they were still doing this when they had diagnosed me, was that they would make you have to lie still for, I don't know, a day or two or something. You know, they'd put sandbags over your face because you had to stay still while the wound or the incisions and that were healing. Well, they didn't. They don't do that anymore. They didn't do that when I had my surgery in the mid '90s. They didn't do it. But at that point, they talked some things about that. I think I don't remember if that would have been the protocol if I had to have that surgery done at that time. But one thing that the doctor did talk about was that I was going to have to wear cataract glasses. And I thought, okay. And he says, yeah, they're going to be thick. They're going to be really thick. And I'm thinking, great. All the more reason for me to. You know, just you know, just for the kids to make fun of me. Because I was already being made fun of. Because I had thick glasses to begin with. They're actually, it's it's kind of interesting. The cataract glasses that they make now, at least for me, 
are not as thick as the glasses that I used to wear as a kid before I even had cataract surgery. So go figure that the technology and the techniques have changed. My glasses are still thick compared to a lot of people. They are thicker, but they're not pop bottle glasses. And I was made fun of in high school, even in high school. I remember this, having a situation that that came up from time to time. Actually came up, I don't know how often it happened. But I remember in high school, and, and you would think by this point, kids would be a little bit more mature and not acting like a bunch of you know doofuses and that. Well, I had some people that made fun of me from time to time. And you're always going to have that, at least growing up. Well, there was one girl that I didn't even know her. She was a nice-looking nice girl. And I kind of knew who she was, but she was just kind of snotty, just, just I don't know, kind of a brat, I guess, lack of a better way to put it. Well, she would always come up to me and say, hey, Jim, there's your sister. And I didn't look because I knew she was just picking on me, thinking that, oh, I'll get him to look over the other way. Ha, 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 ha. Well, no, I didn't fall for it. I just ignored it. And I ignored it, and I ignored it, and she kept doing it over and over and over. And finally, one day, I thought, the next time she does this to me, I'm really just, I'm just going to zing her. No, I'm not, I didn't hit this, I didn't hit this girl. Trust me, I did not. But I thought, okay, I'm going to fight back here a little bit. And so, sure enough, she did it to me again. Hey, Jim, there's your sister. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me, my sister was killed in a car crash two years ago. Well, that was an outright bold-faced lie on my part because at that point, and now, my sister is still very much alive. She had and still has not achieved room temperature. At that point, she was out on her own, married, getting ready to start a family, teaching school in another state. She was doing just fine, so she was you know, perfectly well. But I said that to this girl in response to her smart aleck comment. And when I said, yeah, my sister died in a car crash two years ago. Thank you very much. And the look on her face was just, I wish I had a camera. It totally caught her off guard. And I think she realized either... You know, she was just being, you know, jerk or wow, uh, I just did something really, really bad. Never saw her again, never spoke to her again, and she never obviously ever did that to me again. I don't like to joke about stuff like that. I don't like to say stuff like that, but I just thought, what can I say to her to completely just throw her off her game and maybe get her to think? And that's what that's what happened with that. And uh, it was just, that was just one of those little things that I always dealt with growing up. But getting back to my eye situation, I just thought, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And things went along just fine through high school, starting at the university. Well, I remember while I was going to Specs, going to Specs Howard in 1988, I noticed that things started to change a little bit with my vision. I started to get cloudy vision, periods of cloudy vision. 
it was like just like a fog, like you're in a steamy bathroom with the shower on real hot, you know, to get steamy. Well, that's kind of like what it was like for me. And I also noticed that I started to have some pain. I started to have some discomfort. And sometimes, not all the time, the pain would just get so intense that I'd have to go lay down for a little bit and maybe just close my eyes. Sometimes I'd even, you know, fall asleep or whatever. And I'd wake up and it, the pain would be gone. The cloudy vision would go away sometimes. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it would go away later. It was just really odd how that happened. And why that happened, I really don't know for sure. I, I, I kind of have a suspicion what happened. So I was dealing, dealing with that at Specs and while I was living in Columbus. Well, we get to the fall of 1989. I had been back in Toledo for a little while after leaving Columbus. My grandmother had just passed away, and I was dealing with that. And I, it was, it was kind of a, a rough time for me because of just dealing with the passing of my grandmother and not knowing what my next job was going to be because I wanted to get back to work. I wasn't happy about moving back in with my with my parents. I'm a grown man. I wanted to live on my own, have my own place like I did. And, you know, looking for work and all that kind of stuff. And and then I'm dealing with a problem with my vision. And I'm not sure what's going on. And it wasn't necessarily getting any worse, but it was but I was noticing these symptoms more frequently. And then what really kind of got me to go to the doctor was I started to have some discomfort in my left eye. It was like like it was irritated. You know, when you get a you know, you get itchy red eyes and they, they itch or they burn a little bit. Well, I Noticed that in my left eye, and I thought I probably need to go get this looked at. Even though the eye doesn't work, I probably should at least have it checked out. If anything, it would maybe give them a chance to see what's going on with the eye that does work. Well, I'll tell you something. It was a good thing that I did that. And this was probably in, I want to say, October. October. No, Actually, it was in November by the time I did this. And I went in to the doctor they said, yeah, your left eye, it's you've got a bit of calcium buildup. It's just irritated. Here's some ointment to rub on it. It'll be better in a few days. And I was seeing a new doctor by this point because my regular doctor, Dr. Keyes, had, had retired a few years earlier, and I was seeing a lady by the name, I believe her name was Dr. Coloritz. And a, a nice lady, she had been around for a while and... Dr. Keyes introduced me to her, handed me off to her, and she was familiar with my situation and was in, you know, taking care of my vision. Well, they said, well, let's check your eye pressure. And they checked the right eye. Actually, they checked the left eye first, and left eye was normal. The pressure was, should be. Checked the right eye, and it was way up there. The pressure in your eyes normally runs between... 10 and 20, not sure what those numbers mean, but that's what they say. 10 to 20 is normal eye pressure. My vision was, my, my pressure, I should say, was at 35. So it was up there. And they said, we're, we got to get this pressure down. And we're, we're fortunate that you came because it was like a Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday by this point. Actually, a backup. It was like a Tuesday or something, and they said, "Yeah, it's it's good that we got this. We got to get this under control, or it's going to do permanent damage." 
So they put me on some drops. The drops didn't help. I went back a, like a day or two later, and they said, no, this is not going down. And we're going to have to take some, do some, some treatment here. And they said, if we didn't catch this, probably by the end of the weekend, you would not have any vision anymore. You would lose your vision permanently. So the good Lord had his hand on me at that point. Jesus was looking out for me before I was looking for Jesus. And I really believe that because that wasn't just, you know, by chance, that was by design that I go to the doctor and we find out that there's something that needs to be dealt with. So they, at that point decided, let's try this oral medication. I don't know why they, this, it worked this way, but try this oral medication and let's see if it brings your pressure down. Otherwise we're going to have to do something a little more drastic. So they give me this cup of, of, I don't know what it was, medicine, but it was sweet. If you ever had a glucose test, when you go for a glucose test to check your blood sugar and you drink this really sweet drink, it's almost syrupy. And it was a lot like this. And so they had me drink this stuff and they sat me in this room with a attendant and he put a waste bucket in front of me, a bucket between my legs. And I said, what's this for? Well, in case you get sick. I said, I'm not going to get sick. I'm fine. No, no, no. We got to do this. This is part of the procedure. I'm like, really? So we basically sat there for 20 minutes in case I had the electrocolor involuntary technicolor protein spill. Well, I didn't get sick. I didn't lose my cookies. They checked my pressure again. It still wasn't coming down. And so at that point, they said, we need to do a YAG laser treatment. And I'm like, okay, what's a YAG laser treatment? Little did I know I was going to get to know the YAG laser a bit more over the coming years. Well, more about that as we move on. But they were going to take this laser and literally poke a hole in my cornea, not, not the iris, not where the pupil is, but in the cornea, the white part of your eye, the film that covers your eye. And this will relieve the pressure because the doctor said, Coloritz was saying that the cataract is pushing on the front part of your eye and it's creating high pressure and it's going to do damage if we don't deal with it. So they take me into another room, put a really funky, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? I'm I'm drawing a blank here. um, Lens on my eye. Contact lens. That's what it is. And put a contact lens, a real funky contact lens on my eye, basically just to hold my eye in place enough to use this laser. So they get me in place, put the lens in, and just literally a few short, real quick you know, blast with this laser, click, 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 and it's done. And immediately I could see a little bit better. Now, this didn't cure the cataract. It didn't remove it. It just got rid of the pressure, which helped my vision. And I went back the next day, and they said that your vision has cleared up, or it's better. Your pressure is much lower. It's where it should be. And 
I was able to get on with doing what I was doing at that time. And I was actually at that time starting to work. And I will talk about what I was doing at that point. But I was fortunate enough to run across somebody who really made a difference in my life. Because as I explained in the previous episode, I had got a job working for a gentleman by the name of Buddy Carr, who had been a disc jockey in Toledo for years at a couple of different stations. And he had started his own radio station. And he was going to let me come and do some work for him. And it wasn't much. Honestly, it really wasn't much at all. But I thought, it's something. I'll take it. I need to get back and get my foot in the door. Well, I needed to get out to where the radio station was because it wasn't in town. It wasn't where I could take a taxi to. I did take a taxi out there to talk to him and paid a small fortune to do it. So I realized, you know, I can't take a taxi back and forth. I'll go broke because I wasn't, you know, making a lot of money being a club disc jockey. So I had to figure out something. So I called the local agency in town that deals with folks with vision impairment and who are legally blind and blind and so forth, the Sight Center. And this organization is still around. They're still in Toledo. They've been around for many, many, many years. Well, at this point, I call the volunteer coordinator, who I knew at that time, and I said, can you help me out? I need, you're probably going to tell me no. I'm not getting my hopes up, but I'm going to ask anyway. I've got a chance to do some work, but it's odd hours. It's at night. It's on weekends. Do you know of somebody that can help me get back and forth? And I'm waiting for them to say no. Well, this lady, she said, yes, there is. We have somebody. We'll get have him get in touch with you, and you guys can work out the details. Well, this guy, his name was Glenn. We'll just use his first name for privacy reasons. And those of you who know me, knew me back at that time, or even shortly thereafter, know who Glenn is. And Glenn was, to say the least, a very interesting, unique individual. Glenn was had just celebrated his 80th birthday. Short little guy, five foot nothing, just small. In great shape for his age, obviously. He played tennis two or three times a week. He played clarinet in a couple of local orchestras, sung in his church choir. He was a busy guy, in addition to driving around in his BMW. Yes, the man had one love in his life. He loved high-end motor vehicles. He loved Audis and BMWs. That was his thing. Everybody has a hobby. His was driving high-end vehicles, and he just got a new Beamer. And I thought that was kind of cool. And Glenn said, sure, I can, you know, I can help you out. I'll charge you 20 cents a mile. We'll take you back and forth to, you know, to, to work and all that. When do you need to go? And I told him, he says, no, not a problem. And he did. And as I changed jobs and got new jobs and stuff in town, he drove me around town. And Glenn was just, he was amazing. This guy was just like the Energizer Bunny. He kept going and going and going and going and going, never slowed down at all. 
I remember he was even interviewed on the news once because he was going out to oh some senior center in town to play tennis a few times a week. And the, one of the local TV stations did a story on this place. And Glenn happened to be there, and they shot video of him playing tennis and asking him, well, what's your secret for staying so young? And he says, well, I'm, you got to keep busy. You got to be doing stuff. And they ask him, is there anything in life that frustrates you? And he says, yes, these people here who I play tennis with, they run too slow. <laughs> and I'm thinking, of all things to say, Glenn, and, and it didn't surprise me at the time because I knew him. He just was, he just had this energy that was just unbelievable and didn't matter. He took me places in town at all hours of the day and night because of just working the kind of shifts that I worked in radio. And I got to the point where I was using him regularly, consistently, that we just came up with a flat rate that I would write him a check for every month. And it also made it easier for me to keep track of my finances because at the time I was earning some money from the government because I was eligible because I wasn't making enough. And it was just easy enough for me just to say, this is how much I pay this guy every month. We can deduct that as an expense for me getting to and from work. And that helps me stay in good graces with the government. I have a story about that that I'll share with you in a future podcast. It's going to blow you, it's going to blow your mind. Trust me on this one. But it but with with Glenn, he drove me around town to and from work and he also drove me all over. Not just the Toledo area, but all over the state of Ohio, northern Indiana, lower Michigan. He drove me out to northeast Indiana several times up to Detroit several times up to Mount Pleasant, Michigan for some radio conferences several times, down to Columbus a couple of times, out to Cleveland a couple of times, and he had no problem in doing it if he was available. Now, obviously, with all the things that he's doing that he was committed to, he had a couple of orchestras that he played for. I, I regret I never actually got to hear him play, and I wish I would have. Would have liked to have you know, seen, seen him in action, if you will, at the clarinet. And he would tell me about some of the stuff that he played. And I, I want to say a lot of it was classical. I think it was classical music that he was in. So he was he was a serious musician. And obviously a serious tennis player and took his driving very serious. Well, one thing about Glenn that I should mention, those of you who know him know this already. Glenn was a retired boiler examiner at the Jeep plant. And his license plate said examiner on it. And you knew it was Glenn when he was coming because he was always in the Beamer and he was always he always had a lead foot. This guy could not drive slow to save his life. We would be going down the road. I remember one night, it was 11 o'clock at night. We're going down one of the interstates in, in town, in Toledo. And there's practically nobody out there at that hour. And we're just cruising along and he says... Well, there's a hundred. We're going a hundred miles an hour down an interstate where if there was a policeman around, we would have been nailed. He would have been nailed with a with a ticket. But he 
I don't know how many tickets this guy ever got. He probably had a few. He never got stopped that I recall when I was with him. But he always drove fast, and he was always just, let's get from point A to point B. And I even remember one of my bosses, guy I worked for, saying, hey, I saw your driver the other day. I'm like, oh, how do you know? How do you know it was Glenn? Well, his license plate says examiner, and he got up behind this truck that was sitting in the turn lane and wasn't moving fast enough, and he was yelling at the guy in front of him and banging on the steering wheel. And I'm like, yeah, that's Glenn. <laughs> that's Glenn. He just, he was just something else. I, I know I keep saying that, but it really just a unique individual and a moral individual, a God-fearing man, and just did what you had to do kind of fellow. And I remember just another quick Glenn story. I remember when I was working one night, one station, I was the all night guy, and there was a fellow that was on before me, had become a good friend of mine at that point. Mike was working the evening shift. I was working the all-night show, and Mike's car was in the shop at that point. And I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I said, we'll take you home if, if you don't mind hanging around. And I don't know if he had some stuff to do, because there's always things to do at the radio station, whether you're cutting commercials or or what have you. But he hung around, and we took him home in the morning, and we're driving down this road in Toledo called Woodville Road. If you know the area, you know what I'm talking about. And it was a it's a it's a stretch of highway or street that is commercial. There are shopping centers and restaurants and a few, you know, homes and, and that kind of thing, banks and supermarkets and all that kind of stuff. So if you can kind of picture that type of, of area, it's six o'clock in the morning and we've left the radio station. We're heading for Mike's place on in the other end of town and we're cutting up this this area to to head towards the other side of town and Mike looks forward leans forward and he says to me from the back seat you realize we're going 60 miles an hour and I said yeah that's Glenn and he's like do you do this all the time and I and Glenn's like yeah what's the big deal and and Mike was he wasn't really just scared but he was just like what we're going 60 but it was early in the morning and there was nobody around. So he was able to get away with that. But that was just, that was, that was Glenn. And I will always, always be grateful for Glenn. And he, he stuck around driving me until about 2000 when I moved off to South Carolina. And he was also driving a mutual friend of mine. This was a gal that I, lived next door to when I was born. She knew me before I knew her. Let's just put it that way. She's several years older than me. Name is Kathy. Kathy was going to school, changing careers, and was going to school and needed to get back and forth to school. And they hooked her up with Glenn. So Glenn was driving her around. So I had to share Glenn with her. So I had gone off to Charleston, and I don't know, we maybe talked a little bit here and there, because like I said, our families knew each other forever, in the you know, for, for a long time. We we since lost contact. I've lost contact with her, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but she was really a neat person because she was also visually impaired, 
if, if you haven't guessed. She she actually has less vision than I do and was a musician, played keyboards, was going to school, got married, had a couple of kids, uh, was, you know, just changed careers later on and was always a doer and very smart. Wasn't going to let anything get in her way either. I'd love to contact her because she would have a good story to tell. So if you know Kathy, if you know who Kathy is, Kathy, if you know who you are, if you've stumbled across the podcast, get in touch with me, the Jim Snyder podcast at gmail.com. And I would, I would love to find out what she's up to. I've looked for her on Facebook. I can't find her. But again, out of privacy reasons, I'm not going to mention a last name. I just, you know, let's, let's be, be sensible about this. I mean, she may not want to have anybody know where she is. I don't know. I doubt that. I think if she knew that I was doing a podcast and would like to talk to her, I'm sure she'd be more than happy to, but I'm not going to speak for her. So Glenn, I had found out through Kathy, was just you know starting to have more trouble because he was getting older. At this point, he would have been into his 90s, and he's still driving. Most people, when you get to be 80, they start taking your license away, not Glenn. I think at some point they probably, his oldest son probably had to take his license away from him because one thing I noticed the last few years that I was riding with Glenn is that we'd be going along and we'd go through an intersection or we'd just change lanes or something and somebody would lay on their horn and I'd say, well, what was that all about? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he did or maybe he just didn't realize what he was doing. Because sometimes, every so often, and this is what really began to put the red flags up with me, with him, was that we would be going down the road just anywhere. And it didn't happen all the time, but every so often we'd be going along and we'd be talking about this, that, or the other thing. And then he'd say, you know, I haven't seen the road for the last 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was that's not too comforting. comforting. And and Kathy would would tell me some things, share some things with me. And this is after I was in South Carolina. I would talk to her and you know, like, how's Glenn doing? And she'd say, oh, Glenn is Glenn. And tell me this, that, or the other thing. And I lost track of her. And I don't know what she's up to these days, where she is. But I hope maybe somehow, some way we can get in contact with her. But I, I think at some point, Glenn probably had his license taken away, and I, I doubt if he's still with us. I mean, he'd be over 100 years old by this point, but you, you, you never know with Glenn. So, Glenn, wherever you are, I want you to know that I appreciate everything you did, and I know he knows because I did tell him, and I did tell him that I was always appreciative of what he did, and just a fun individual. I always threatened to get him a chauffeur's cap and a, and a jacket. You know, one of those, you know, Jeeves, take me home, sir. You know, that, that kind of thing. I often threatened to get him a little jacket and he always loved the idea of that. Yeah. You know, the little jacket with the hat and everything like that, you know, like a chauffeur had a great sense of humor. He really, he really did. So Glenn, thanks for everything, buddy. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. <laughs> Well, this is a K9 uh, 
pun for today. What breed of dog will bring you your wine? What breed of dog will bring you your wine? It could be a glass of wine. It could be a bottle of wine. Well, it would be a Bordeaux Collie. (laughs) Now, if you have a pun that you'd like to share with me, you can do that at the Jim Snyder Podcast at gmail.com. The Jim Snyder Podcast at gmail.com. It's all lowercase, no spaces or anything. That's how you can get in touch with me with your comments, your suggestions for guests, whatever. Questions, your puns. Would love to hear from you. And we'll get back on track. I promise you, I'm going to talk about my first commercial job in radio. We're going to get to that. And whatever else I can come up with. So I definitely would look forward to getting together with you again next time. So thank you for listening. You can always, of course, find the podcast. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on iHeartMedia, radio.com. It's all over the place. Well, until next time, I'm Jim Snyder reminding you it's not what happens to you in life that's important. It's how you respond that really counts. The Jim